Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me on another episode of Titans of Healthcare. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. We have a very special episode here today, and one that kind of came together just based on running into some people at the uh, health conference in Vegas uh, a few <laughs> weeks back. So uh, shout out to, uh, to Health for, uh, for having uh, so many of us in the same place so that these conversations can continue after the conference. I'm going to let everyone kind of go through and, and give their, their backgrounds and, and what their company does. So we'll, we'll start off with, uh, with you, Luke, and then we'll go down the list to Josh and Lori. Yeah, first of all, Jared, thanks so much for uh, having me. I'm excited to, to be in the same space today with uh, Josh and Lori as well and, and, and kind of talk about some of the passion that, that we all share. So my name is Luke Hale. I am a co-founder and, and CEO of TimelyMD. And at Timely, our mission is to improve the health and well-being of students. And we do that by providing um, virtual medical and mental health care uh, to students anytime, any, anywhere, 24-7. We founded the company in 2017. We actually started as a medical-only solution for students, um, focused in higher education, and quickly identified, of course, that there is a, even a greater need on the mental health side. And uh, so worked to, to build out our, um, our mental health team as well. In, in 2018. And um, uh, at this point, um, you know, we're serving about 1.5 million students in the United States at about 250 schools. So at, at every one of those schools, all students on campus have access to no cost visits uh, to um, medical providers, mental health uh, providers, um, you know, just based on the, 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 what the, the needs of that institution. And really interestingly, at this point, 80% of all of our visits are mental health related. Now, prior to the pandemic, that number was 10%. So we've seen a, a pretty significant shift over the past few years as well. Uh, a metric that we also published recently that I'm excited to share is 75% of all the students um, that our mental health providers work with actually see improvements in their mental health. So, you know, we're, we're getting to the point where we're really looking at and measuring the impact that we're having on students as well. Um, and you know, we all we all know. Again, we've got real passion around our mission that that students in crisis they don't have weeks um, or even minutes uh, to wait. And so, uh, the work that we're doing, I think, is critically important. And uh, so, we're working every day to ensure that students have access to to on demand emotional support that can reach us in less than five minutes. So, anyways, that's an overview of who we are. But again, really glad to be here. Thanks for adding me, Jared. Thanks, Luke. Uh, Josh, would love to hear more, uh, obviously, about you and, and Hazel Health. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Jared. So I'm Josh Gollum. I'm CEO of Hazel Health and a lot of similarities to Luke's story, but we focus completely on K-12. So our, our mission at Hazel is to make sure that all students have access to quality health care. And, and what that means for us in a, in a K-12 setting is that students can come into the health office, whether it's for a physical health um, issue like a, you know, a headache, you know, a, a cold, pink eye, all the things kids get or alternatively for mental health issues around anxiety or depression, and they get connected virtually to one of our providers on the other end. And so we've, um, we're now across 14 states. We are working with just north of 3,000 schools to represent about 3 million kids, again, all in the K-12 space. Thanks, Josh. And now, last but not least, Lori. Awesome, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Jared, for having me, uh, Luke and Josh, it's so nice to meet you. Um, I look forward to hopefully uh, connecting uh, over the long term. Wanted to congratulate you both on all the success that you've had. Um, Caraway's much younger. We've just started this year. We were 
uh, founded in 2022. So um, I'm looking up to both of you, uh, just given all the great work you've done. So congratulations on that. And um, Luke, I saw that you guys were named, got a big award from Inc. Um, I guess a couple days ago. So um, that's just fantastic. So congrats to you guys. Um, Caraway is, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Caraway. We are a digital health company. We're tailored to Gen Z women and all individuals assigned female at birth. We provide mental, physical, and reproductive healthcare services all in one place. Uh, and we're also teaching health as a life skill. So our members can gain agency and independence in their healthcare journey. Thank you, Lori. Uh, so one of the first things we want to dive in today, we'll start with you, Luke, and then we'll kind of go Luke, Josh, Lori, and then we'll kick it back the other way for some other conversations. Let's talk through mental health role in education today, Luke. Would love to hear your thoughts and uh, everyone can kind of piggyback on the other or add some new thoughts uh, to the mix as well. Well, I love what Lori just said, actually, as, um, you know, teaching mental health as a life skill. I mean, I, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, that's that's a great part of um, mental health's role in education. And, um, you know, nine out of 10 students say that their campus is experiencing a full-blown mental health crisis. So when you think about, you know, why, why students are actually on that campus to learn and prepare themselves for the rest of their life, um, it's critically important that, you know, these, these concerns that the students have are addressed, right? And uh, the number one reason why students uh, you know, unenroll from, from college is because of mental health as well. Um, and so because of this, it's, you know, it's, it's really the top concern, if not, it's one of the top concerns of pretty much any um, college president. And, and that's reported, you know, year over year in uh, a study, I believe that the um, ACE does. So, uh, you know, for, for those reasons, I, you know, I think it's critically important that we, we have a a strong focus on mental health in education and, and are looking to everyone involved in education has got to look to how they can continue to support students uh, in a way to get them the resources that, that they need. And so, again, that's, you know, that's why we exist um, is to provide that on-demand access to students. Um, and, and we're, you know, again, we, we have found, and of course studies show as well um, that providing um, equitable access, uh, meaning, you know, all, all students have access to, to that care um, and lowering any barriers to care is critically important as well to help that student stay in school, uh, which leads to helping them achieve the goals that, that they have as well. So um, I, I think education has a huge role um, in, in working to, to you know, provide resources and help solve the mental health crisis that we're in. Thanks, Luke. Would love to hear your uh, additional thoughts onto that, Josh. Yeah, yeah, this is this is so fun hearing other folks who have been spending time in the education space. So let me give you like the K twelve view, and I'll like go macro and then micro. But so one of the things that was really interesting as we started doing this work is so the, one of the big things that K twelve schools focus on is this metric called chronic absenteeism, and what it is is it's a measure of how much kids are missing school, and typically it's uh, typically it's defined of kids missing more than ten percent of the school year. And there's all this data. If you think about things you care about for K-12 kind of what kids' outcomes, it's so highly correlated. So one of the best predictors of your reading level at for students in third grade is whether or not they're chronically absent in kindergarten. Um, by the time you're in sixth grade, the, one of the biggest indicators of whether or not you will graduate from high school is your rate of chronic absenteeism. And, and when you pull apart the data, one of the biggest reasons why kids miss a lot of school is health. And now more and more is, is mental health. 
um, as a big driver of do kids want to go to school? How are they feeling about things? And so like they're at this macro level, there's this huge need to make sure that we're doing everything we can for kids to feel successful at school, be at school. Cause we, and it also correlates to things like incarceration rates, uh, you know, long-term results after post-graduation. And so schools right now are hyper-focused on this. And if it used to be when we started Hazel years ago, if you looked at any kind of survey of superintendents, it would usually the things were top of the list for priorities were things around curriculum, you know, better instruction, and now mental health, they'll also sometimes refer to as social emotional learning is almost number one in almost any um, view of superintendents because they know how much it matters there. But then at an individual kid level and as a parent level, this is playing out so much in the classroom right now and it's playing out in kids, their ability to learn, their ability to engage, how they show up in the, in the classroom. And it's playing out actually a lot in teacher mental health as well too. Because if you imagine now as a teacher, and my wife's a teacher, you're navigating a classroom of all these kids right in the midst of a mental health crisis and your ability to support all of them to learn as a, as a group. But, but individually, this is... It, there's, there's probably not a bigger thing that's top of mind for the educators we talk to. And so um, you know, this is why things like timely and carry matter so much because we, we need to bring more services to those families. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate that. And, and Lori, uh, love to hear your thoughts as well. Yeah, I'd love to add. I, I like to call myself a student of higher ed these days. I'm a healthcare person through and through a whole career. Um, and I think one of our members uh, really said it best about uh, mental health's role in education. And we just started seeing members in, in September. And she said the following, good health and good mental health is what allows us to get curious about what's happening in our world. It allows us to act on our passions and focus on what makes us excited to be alive. So I think that sums up uh, the importance. And we all know that supporting students in and out of the classroom has long been a part of of education and along those lines, student supports have evolved uh, along with the changing needs. And boy, do we have a massive need as Luke uh, and, ja and Josh were just saying. Um, and, and Lori, one of the, this, I'm so grateful that we have this, this group of uh, companies on the, on the show today because I wanted to start with you, Lori, on the barriers to innovating in this space. And I think because of, you know, when you started, uh, we're, we're going to get some, you know, similar but different perspectives here, um, because obviously the, uh, maybe the barriers for, for Luke and Josh at where they're at today are, are a little different than, but they probably faced the same things that yeah. you faced, uh, you know, in the early days. Yeah, I, I, um, I appreciate that. I'm actually going to start with, um, I think the biggest barriers for our members is um, the current reproductive health circumstances. Uh, it's a big part of our care model. Um, there's been a lot of government interference in women's rights um, to health care and the mental and physical health care challenges uh, many women face in college have further worsened with the overturning of Roe. Um, their bodily autonomy and health is no longer their decision and their choice and um, access is very restricted to reproductive health care services. And even before Dobbs, the Dobbs decision, um, unintended pregnancy was one of the number one reasons that women dropped out of college. So again, this restricted access is exacerbating the mental health challenges. And there's this incredible podcast, it's called The Quadcast. And Luke, you may have seen it, especially it was 
a professor at the University of Tennessee really explaining the implications of what's happening at the University of Tennessee. And they had a reproductive health center that was open for 47 years that closed. And there's no, just overnight, there's no resources. And the school itself is, it's sort of crickets. It's a big elephant in the room. There's not education, there's not information. And so I think it's created a really, a big barrier. Thanks, Lori. Uh, Josh, we'll kick it over to you for, for any barriers that you have as well. Yeah. Um, well, I'll start with maybe like the, there's been good, the barrier that we thought has not been as much as we, we expected and where they have played. And I think when we uh, when we started like like Luke's team did with physical health and we moved into the mental health space. And I know there was a lot of discussion around the stigma around mental health access, both for kids and for families. And while that is absolutely true in part, we have found in general families, kids have really embraced the idea of getting more support and services. And some of it's because you know, just for parents, how much in crisis families are, there's a Kennedy um, Foundation report that came out recently that said about 53% of parents have had to miss work in the last 60 days because of a mental health concern for their child. Uh, but most parents don't actually feel comfortable talking to their employer about that because uh, there's still a lot of shame and stigma around it. But we've actually found when you make the mental health services available to you know, essentially a, a we most of how our model works is we often get a referral from a school counselor or a teacher at a school and and then parents can opt in. And we found an incredibly high opt in rate across all demographics because parents are seeing the need. And there's you know, it's the, the wait lists are months in many, many cases for these families. The thing that's probably the most challenging part for us in playing in the education space is we're, we're operating between two worlds. And so if you think about education, K-12, it's universal access for everyone, right? And this is part of the wonderful things of these schools. They don't, you, they don't care what your insurance is, your income level, your immigration status. We're trying to support everyone with this common good. On the other end, we have all the, the healthcare system and all of, these, all of our health plans that you know, these kids are members of that often have their own unique individual approach to how they want to solve good things. We're all trying to work, but we're, um, but it's also creates a lot of fragmentation in the system. And so part of our role is like, how do we bring these two systems together so that there can be like a universal thing that works for all kids and doesn't feel so fragmented, which can be hard, right? Because it's, it might, you know, in a given school we work with, we're helping all kids, but they may represent 20 different health plans and so how do we make something cohesive that makes sense to families and the, and the kids that use the services? Thanks, Josh. And uh, Luke, we'll kick it over to you now for, for your thoughts on, the, on these barriers. Yeah. When I think about barriers innovating and, in, you know, and especially in the, in, in the space that we're in, of you know, serving college students, um, you know, one of, one of the earlier barriers that we had was, um, you know, quickly building relationships and helping the, um, you know, the counseling directors on campus understand how we're going to work together with them, right? Um, now, we've we've overcome that barrier, I would say, at this point. In fact, um, you know, we, we have a lot of, you know, counseling directors now reaching out to us directly saying, how can I work with my campus to establish a partnership with you guys? So, you know, that was that was one of our earlier barriers, I would say, that's actually turned into something that's a, it's a beautiful thing for us. But, you know, when really, when I think about the question, um, you know, we were first to market and doing what we're doing in college campuses, um, delivering care to, to student bodies. And I honestly don't feel like there are a lot of barriers to innovation and feel, in fact, I feel like there's a ton of opportunity 
uh, to continue to innovate aggressively in the space that we're in. And so that's what we're doing. You know, we are we are aggressively innovating and, and, and working with the campuses to understand, you know, what are what are the growing needs on campus? How can we continue to innovate through the way that we're delivering the care, the way that we build technology, um, you know, to solve those to solve those problems? And and again, the partners that we their work that we're working with, the the, the higher education institutions, um, you know, that we're working with are I mean, they're just they're fantastic. Right. And they they bring us uh, even ideas. Sometimes we're working with. Uh, you know, Johns Hopkins right now on something that is a critical need that they have that we're working to solve uh, for them and their student population, right? That is, of course, applicable to all the all the campuses that we serve. And uh, we've seen that over and over again in the way that we've innovated by the, uh, you know, products and services and technology that we've launched. So I think there's huge opportunity to continue to innovate is really my answer. Well, Josh, let's let's continue on what, what Luke was just chatting about too. So let's, uh, and then we'll kick it over to Lori as well. So let's talk more about these areas of opportunity and growth in the space. Yeah, I, I'm with Luke. I think there's so much opportunity, and and I think one thing that's great when we when we started, there were so few um, digital health companies focusing on pediatrics and kids, and or just kids and youth, youth in general. So like, you know, we, we address a broad range here on, on this podcast. And there's been so many great companies that have popped up in the last couple of years. And I think it's, it's partly because of a recognition of how important um, their need is and how I, I, for many years before Hazel, I, the two companies I ran were all focused more on adults and seniors, often with chronic disease. And I will say, um, you know, I don't think it was until I had my own kids where I realized um, I've been spending most of my career focusing on adults and seniors who may have not had a great experience of the healthcare system for years. And then I had my three boys, my oldest son, we actually found it was, was born um, deaf. So we found out about a year and a half in, and, and it wasn't until going through the healthcare system as a parent and seeing the, the irony of gosh, we're like how hard it is for parent and for kids to get access to care at times and how we're, you know, if we just made things a better opportunity, better care, easier to navigate the system, not only could we keep kids, you know, at age 12 or 18 or 20 healthier, but could we change the experience they have with the healthcare system for the next 50, 80, 100 years? Um, and so we, I think that's fantastic. And th th what's interesting is going through schools is you realize like this is the, whether it's higher ed or K-12, like this is where the state, the obvious where kids are. And if you, you think about what happened in healthcare on the direct uh, employer space for a while, there was, there was this recognition, if you wanted to reach adults, why not go to where they work? Why not go to the places that they are the most? That's the same reality that exists for kids today. And so I think there's both the opportunity to bring more services. There's also a big opportunity for early intervention. And, and um, one of the data points, it's early for us that we've seen on mental health is the the average age in the K-12 space of diagnosis for mental health in the country right now is about 14. And what we're seeing, the average age of referral coming into Hazel right now in K-12 is about 12 and a half. And what we believe that is, is because it's, there's a big difference between usually that, that age 14 is me as a parent. When, do I, when am I seeing enough um, of a, issues at home that I, I now try to find services for my child? But my teacher, my school counselor, those of my kids... They often see things actually a lot easier earlier. And so if we can imagine bringing more services to those kids, is there a way that we can tackle a lot of these issues far earlier before a lot of the other issues play out, before even issues of behavior and suspensions play out, if we could tackle it at a much earlier age? Kick it over to Lori. 
Yeah, no, I love both of your comments. Um, they're excellent. And I couldn't agree more. There's a massive opportunity. And the opportunity we see at Caraway is to fundamentally change the way college women uh, experience the healthcare system, right? We know there's lots of barriers. Many don't know where to turn when they have a problem. They have trouble getting appointments for routine needs and, or more complex needs. There's countless hours spent waiting for appointments at urgent care or student health. And there's just deep frustration and risk because they can't get the care they need. And what we're seeing with our members and is that you know, members want a different healthcare experience. They want one that doesn't separate the head from the body. <laughs> um, and they want one um, that they can access with the same ease and convenience and timeliness like they're able to do with most other things in their life. Uh, and so I think that uh, we have this incredible opportunity in addressing those um, experiences is just uncover early diagnoses and, and set the course for lifelong healthcare habits and, and overall well-being. So just really underscoring the proactive opportunity we have. And, you know, I may, I was thinking about the topic today. I I, I know we're, we're focused on education, but I don't want to let the healthcare system off the hook, right? They have a, there's a massive role um, that the healthcare system has to play. And I think the opportunity for higher ed in our case uh, is, around proactive care. I mean, the health system doesn't pay for those that we know need care, but don't reach a certain, a, a certain threshold, right? Maybe it's a, uh, a certain metric where they're, they don't have an official right, diagnosis and therefore aren't eligible um, for, um, for something to be billed, right? And for a clinician to be paid for. And so I think in education in particular, we can work with those sort of sub-threshold right, members that really need um, care and education and skills development. And I think that's one of the biggest opportunities. And Laurie, we're going to kick it back to you again, because I, I want to I want to dive a little bit more into how like whole person care affects yeah. behavioral health care. This is one of our favorite topics um, at Caraway. We're really passionate about um, integrated behavioral health care. So delivering medical care and mental health care together. Um, our focus um, on women's health, you know, really building uh, for women's health is due to the greater incidence of physical and mental health concerns and needs presenting at this age window, which are best addressed um, in a, a collaborative care model. And that model is a noun in our, our world. And um, our chief health officer has spent her life uh, training and standing up the collaborative care model in various settings. Uh, she trained at the AIM Center at the University of Washington. There's probably been more clinical trials on the collaborative care model than, than most that, that prove um, outcomes are better. We know outcomes are better in the shorter term and the longer term when we deliver, deliver collaborative care. Uh, and so to us, um, mental health equals uh, medical health and vice versa. And we know integrated care leads to better health outcomes and team-based care leads to better outcomes. And so... Um, just another minute on the model itself, which is a, you know, a primary care physician. Uh, and for Caraway, that's an adolescent medicine physician or nurse practitioner or a family medicine trained or a gynecologist. Um, that's a core part of the care team with a therapist and with a health advisor that's supported by a consulting psychiatrist. Uh, and so we think that model is crucial, crucial to delivering the best outcomes, but also 
in thinking about how we scale as a community and deliver um, mental health care to as many people as we can uh, with that model. So in essence, Cheryl, who's uh, serving as our uh, first consulting psychiatrist, is really training the care team uh, on um, how important um, integrated um, behavioral health is or uh, collaborative care, pick your, pick your term, they, they're synonymous for us. And so we think that's going to be a crucial way to scare, scale and reach as many members as we can uh, with a model that we know is incredibly effective. And, you know, for a variety of reasons, which maybe we could all talk about together uh, sometime is why our healthcare system is very challenged to deliver that uh, and pay for that kind of model when we know um, it, it produces the best outcomes for our our age window, our 18 to 27 year old um, age window. Thanks, Lori. I'm actually going to, we're going to go a little out of order now so that Josh will kick you off with the next topic. But um, Luke, would love to hear your thoughts. Then we'll kick it over to Josh and then we'll start up a, a new conversation point that uh, I'm really curious of diving more into. Yeah. Well, first, amen to everything Lori said for sure. You know, whole person care hinges on the um, complete integration of medical and behavioral care. That's a, it's certainly a passion point for Timely MD and, and specifically um, one for me as well. Uh, it's something that, that we prioritize on a regular basis. In fact, on Monday, I, had, I, I went to Cooper Clinic, um, which is like, a, it's like an eight, eight plus hour physical that I did, right? And, uh, you know, had to search for and opt in to a mental health component of this exam, right? And so every clinician that would listen on Monday, <laughs> I told them, you know, about my passion on this topic and on why that should be included for every person who has you know, has, has a physical through them. So anyways, certainly a, a, a passion point of mine personally as well. Uh, you know, we know that many, many health issues um, like uh, fatigue, headaches, stomach pains, muscle soreness, things like that, they may actually be physical manifestations of stress or anxiety um, or other mental health issues that exist. Um, so totally agree with what Lori said about team-based care. It's all about working together, making sure that you are, you are part of a system that works together. And so, you know, we do that with the clinicians on our end at Timely MD, but also the, uh, you know, the providers that work on campuses as well and making sure that we work with them, uh, you know, to take great, great, uh, great care of the students. Um, and, you know, what we're seeing is, is, you know, really positive impacts there. Um, you know, many times, again, if you're able to, address something on the physical health side, um, it, it has a significant impact on the mental health side. So helping the world understand that and, uh, you know, continuing to drive passion and, and create businesses like we have and encourage the healthcare system to operate in this way is, is critically important. Yeah. And I'll jump in a bit. Lori and Luke, you guys, they said it incredibly well. Like the so we used to get started on the medical physical health side and emerged over. And it was interesting working with kids. Those, earlier I mentioned these kids were chronically absent. And and part of why we started to invest more in mental health is we would see so many kids were coming in. They were missing a lot of school that had perpetual headaches, perpetual stomach aches. And, and they weren't faking. It wasn't just because they were trying to get out of math class. But they were like, and, and you know, as adults, we pretend like there's a big difference. And we know when something's physical health versus mental health. And I think we delude ourselves. But I think for, for the, a lot of these kids that were coming in is like they, it was these, these GI, they, it was not a GI cause. Like there was no underlying medical um, cause, but they were playing out as physical health symptoms for these kids. And it was leading them to miss a lot of school, not feel well. 
Um, and, and that's a lot of what drove us to get in this of like, if we want to actually support kids, their overall well-being, you need to be able to support both sides. And, and so sometimes that is the, you know, the physical health providers, whether it's us or PCPs, being able to have the expertise to bring that in, but it also actually plays that on the other side. And, you know, there's, there may be a child who has anxiety that also has you know, really bad eczema that plays out when they're feeling anxious in class and it makes it hard for them to focus and concentrate and the ability to also have that mental health provider have access to, you want your kids to feel well and, and you want to know that whatever exact need it is, there's a way to access that versus having to always necessarily figure out like which side of the system of the healthcare system do I need to go to for this thing my kid needs? You want to be able to feel like the healthcare system is supporting anything your child might need. Thanks so much for Josh and, and Luke and, and Lori. Uh, appreciate your thoughts on that. I want to talk about something that, you know, I, I came from originally, I was in the uh, staffing world in healthcare. And originally when I started my, my past company, we were a staffing marketplace for nurse anesthetists, anesthesiologists, and some other types of healthcare professionals. But I really started it because I was looking at the um, staffing shortages that we were going to face based on an aging population and um, just the fact that we had a, a shortage of healthcare professionals, right? So I really was focusing in on the access to care piece. Th with that being said, right, how does greater access to care and education uh, affect these underserved populations? Uh, we'll start with Josh and then we'll go Lori, Luke, uh, if, if that works. Yeah, yeah. And Jared, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're passionate about this because it's a big deal for us too. And so like just, just some data first. So I think you know, in, within the K-12 space, I think the, the data generally shows that probably about 20%, about one in five kids need access to mental health services. And as the latest data, only about 4% of those, so about one in five need that. Um, so access is a huge issue, but it disproportionately affects um, kids in communities of color. And so if you actually break the Kaiser Foundation, Family Foundation broke down that 4%, it's actually closer to like five and a half percent for students that are white um, in the high two percents for students of color. And so everyone needs to get better, but there's it's disproportionately those communities are suffering from lack of access. And, and schools are this great equalizer, right? Everyone has transportation. There's adults at Folks Trust. There's multilingual support. And so for us, it's a great mechanism to start to try to address that. Um, and so what you know, when we actually had a study it, before we were doing mental health services, actually before COVID, um, uh, the U.S. Department of Ed did a study on with one of our school districts here in California, just to look at how many family, like by race, a bunch of different data points, but including by race, how are families using telehealth? And what we actually found in this district is that the highest, everyone was using it at, at, at a time when telehealth is only about 4% utilization in the country. Um, we were seeing data points of 20 to 30%. And the highest utilizers in the district that they looked at were our Black and African-American families. And so it was like great. We, we sort of knew this anecdotally, but it was great to see that that you could actually close a lot of these access gaps. If you really go to a place where everyone is and you make it easy to access, um, that you can actually raise the bar for everyone, but but actually try to address equity for those groups that that don't in the typical digital health ecosystem, don't have the same the same access point. So a very big, and, and for us, the other part, it also means you have to really culturally competent care. So it's not just having access. And so one of the things we're really proud of is more than um, 
more than half of our providers identify as people of color. Um, more than 30% speak a second language fluently because the, the you know, wonderful thing on technology, you can imagine now at a given school that's got a very diverse set of kids that you can now match not only on what their need might be, but on kids that look like them, on kids that, uh, sorry, on, on caregivers that look like them, on you know, the caregiver that reaches out to the, or the case manager, the, the parents in the evening can speak to them in their native language is such an important uh, thing to solve if we really want to address healthcare access and healthcare equity in this country. Laura, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. As well. Yeah, I love those those thoughts, Josh. I think the great equalizer is a really incredible um, sum up. And you know, for us, Gen Z is the most diverse generation in U.S. history, right? Constituting nearly a quarter of the population, the most socially minded, hope we think the most flexible in terms of their options for healthcare, which is why there's so much exciting opportunity for all of us. And I think that we were built for women and those assigned female at birth, given the historical underrepresentation and undertreatment of women and the need for services. Um, there was an unbelievable statistic in the Commonwealth Fund report last year that uh, noted that 80% of women don't even enter the healthcare system until they're ready to have children, which they are having children, which is just an astonishing. So we have this, this, this massive underrepresentation and we feel that, you know, with women as the focal point of our care design, we believe outcomes will be better for everybody, right? We embrace all gender identities and discretion. We've cared for some men already. Um, and, you know, the data on more underserved populations is clear. I mean, we all know it, right? The data on, on the LGBTQIA population, which is a big um, focus of ours, one of our angel investors, Hope Lab, you know, invested in us for, for that purpose to bring Caraway, help uh, enable Caraway to be the great equalizer uh, for, for that population. And there's uh, the decline in engagement and enrollment is very notable uh, in the population. I think it's more than one in four um, LGBTQIA college students consider dropping out of school because of their mental health, health challenges. Luke, you probably know a lot about that. I know you're doing awesome work there. Um, and the data on black and brown students um, related to unplanned pregnancies and, you know, nearly three quarters of the um, historically black colleges and universities uh, are in states that have banned or um, mostly banned abortion services. Um, and we know that that's a massive, um, you know, re the number one reason why women leave school. Again, as I said before, pre-dobs. So, you know, this 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 great equalizer is an equalizer um, strategy is just um, really powerful. And um, you know, health equity is crucial for all of us. Uh, we're very committed to delivering care with cultural humility. Um, right, where our clinicians um, have that cultural humility when they deliver care, our content, our resources, um, making sure they're culturally competent, that the diversity in so many ways of our care team um, and uh, our desire to really make sure that we're targeting uh, historically black colleges and universities, Hispanic serving institutions, uh, regions that where there's a, a lot more underserved uh, population of our, our Gen Z target, our 18 to 27 target. And of course, you know, our desire in restricted states on the reproductive health side to educate and uh, offer uh, contraception 
options counseling, prescri prescribing, uh, education as much as possible to empower young women in the decisions that they can make around their health care. Um, and then also, uh, it, it's hard not to, to mention the financial piece of this as well. And that's also, I think, why um, you know, education uh, in, in healthcare and mental health, again, is this amazing equalizer um, because there's, there are very significant financial challenges as we think about the healthcare system combined with the education system. And we're all spending so much money on healthcare and no one's mm -hmm. getting what they need, uh, or it's really hard to get, to get people what they need, which is, um, you know, something we're all, we're all tackling. And I know that um, Luke and Josh are really, um, have a lot of progress there. Yeah. Well, I gotta say again, this is, this is fun to talk to with people who wake up every day with the same passion in, in similar missions. I mean, you guys said it well, uh, equi equitable access to care is, I mean, it's everything as we think about, you know, the, the future of, uh, of our nation. Right. And, um, as Lori just stated, sometimes the only health and well-being care students have these days, uh, you know, for the population we're serving is is provided through their schools. And so, our you know, the way that we've built our business model and we're partnering directly with the school to provide no cap, no cost uh, care to the student. There's no copay. There's no insurance. It's just very simple. Um, so being thoughtful about serving those populations well is critical. You know, we found, um, you know, we serve all, all different types of institutions. Um, you know, from uh, small to large private schools, community colleges, um, you know, a good number of HBCUs, four-year publics. The first time we launched on a community college, we found one of our product names actually was, it was called, instead of Talk Now, it was Therapy Now. And we found that word therapy did not resonate well uh, with a diverse population on a community college. And so we quickly, you know, identified that and worked to identify, you know, how to, how to turn it into something different. And so, you know, those are some of the things that we're finding along the way, because that was actually a barrier to care for that population. Um, so you've, you've got to have your ear to the ground and, and listen to, you know, the actual patients that you're serving, the institutions and, and what they're saying as well. Um, so, you know, our passion, you know, for, for continuing to provide that on demand and, and really equitable access, um, is it's important that we embrace, you know, the identities and experiences of the, of the students. Um, and, you know, we, similar to what Lori was saying, you know, um, think that outcomes are or no, really. I mean, there's plenty of studies that have been done that show that outcomes are really dependent on the relationship with the provider. And so, um, you know, we've, we have worked and will continually work to have a very diverse uh, provider network. And so our, our culturally responsive team, um, is, uh, you know, the provider network is, it reflects diversity and things like, you know, race, ethnicity, gender, uh, identity, uh, age, religion, worldview, all of those things are, are critically important, uh, to, you know, to make sure that we're serving any and every student well, and that they can find a provider that looks like, and, and thinks like, and uh, like them, right? And that's going to lead to um, a better outcome. 50% of our providers are, uh, they identify as black, indigenous, or people of color, right? And that, again, that's critically important that, you know, to, to students that they are able to find someone that, that looks and feels like them. So again, you know, as Lori stated too, many times this, this might be the first time that a student's navigating healthcare on their own. 
um, their mental health care and their physical health care on their own. So breaking down any barriers that we can uh, to help them navigate that care better is, is something that, that is, you know, again, really important, particularly for underserved populations. My, my last question for, for all of our guests here today, um, and I want to see, we'll kind of do this one, I guess, is like a lightning round, but, but add as much as you can into the answers. I'm not going to buzz anyone. Um, this is around what does the future of mental health, uh, mental health and education look like, right? Let's, let's look ahead in an ideal world. What does that look like? We'll start with you, Josh, and then we'll go Luke, and then we'll, we'll wrap up with you, Lori. Yeah, I think I think we're going to see in schools and in the K twelve space they talk about it's called multi tiered systems of support across not just they have three tiers and not just the kids that need services but even kids that need basic preventative um, kind of coaching education support and I think we're going to see more and more investment in the classroom of how to give kids the basic language of social emotional learning whether or not you might imagine instead of having you know um, the way you have your annual well child visit an annual sort of mental health screening and checkup where it becomes much more of the lexicon and much more of, of mm-hmm. something that is not, you know, we're talking about mental health and not just when, when kids are in, in mental dis- in health distress. Um, I expect more and more of that to happen in education in the coming years. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we all can agree that mental health support um, is just increasingly relevant and critical for all ages um, if, if we don't, you know, work harder to support students, uh, the dominoes will start to fall. When you think about education, you know, society in general, the economic impact of, you know, not working to continually solve this problem could be pretty big uh, for our nation. And so, um, you know, that that's part of what drives me and my team. And I know, you know, Lori and Josh and their teams as well. Uh, every every day. I mean, there's 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 no signs at this point that the mental health crisis that we are in is slowing down, um, especially on the other side of of the COVID nineteen pandemic. You know, I shared that shift from ten percent of our visits were mental health related to to eighty. I mean, wow, that's a big shift, right? Um, we've got hospitals and 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 uh, that are overwhelmed and short staffed these days. Um, and uh, we got provider burnout as well. So there's just a number of things as, as a result of this. And uh, so, you know, we've got to be laser, laser-like focused on this. And that's what we do at TimeWMD is, is focusing on, on this, solving this problem. And, you know, um, we won't stop until equitable on-demand access to mental health care is in the hands of, of every student. I mean, I think there's some other things that are, that are interesting and, and going on right now as well and opportunities. Um, you know, we launched our uh, peer community just just months ago as well, and so there's there's um, some great results there. And and the the reason we did that was, you know, many conversations uh, within higher education for years. You'd always hear on campus either talking to students or administrators. Well, where do students go first? Right. Well, they go to their peers. And so finding a way and innovating a way for students to do that and interact with with others to help solve their problems together. I'm just giving an example of how we how it's critically important that we've got to continue to innovate and think about ways to put the right tools in the hands of students, um, you know, to solve this problem, because we're not all created equal. The way that we, um, you know, will take that first step is different 
per person. And so making sure that there's different uh, different doors to walk through, whether that's physical or virtual or, uh, you know, talking to a live provider or, you know, uh, a digital self-care journey, which is something else that we're working on and, and spending a lot of time as well, peer communities, things like that. All of these things will work together, um, you know, to, to, to solve mental health. Um, and the outcome, I think, is we're all going to have a, a better world to live in together. Lori. Yeah, I think you you both summed it up nicely. I will just underscore that I hope the future includes that we're all living in a world where mental health is a high priority and integrated into every area of education. Um, I hope the future is preventive mental health treatment becomes the norm, not the exception, and reduces the rates of adolescent mental health episodes involving lifelong disorders, and that no one has to feel like suicide's the only way to relieve their emotional pain and suffering. Well, thank you all again so much for, for joining me on Titans of Healthcare. I can't wait to have you all back on again, dive into some different topics, get you on some different panels, but uh, really appreciate it and uh, can't wait for future conversations. And uh, can you continue seeing how each of your companies continues to grow and help students? Thank you, Thanks, Jerry. Thank you so much.